Welcome on in, everybody, to this edition of Fighters Fury here on 790 The Ticket. Sorry for the delay on this one. Obviously, I had a big weekend for myself. Uh, it was my it was my wedding anniversary, so I was away this weekend. So that's why we didn't get a result on Sunday morning of the Poirier versus Hooker fight. I did watch it live. It was the, the last thing I did uh, on my honeymoon, and I'm sure you guys can make the jokes about how lame that is as it is. Is that It wasn't even my honeymoon, my anniversary, excuse me. Uh, that the last thing that I did was watch two men in a cage in their underwear uh, fight while my wife slept on my side. But uh, we did have a fantastic time. It was a great time. Um, you know, did a lot of improv improvisation because we were supposed to be off on a cruise in, in the Bahamas and, you know, reliving reliving our, uh, our honeymoon, if you will. But it was, uh, you know, pandemic is what it is. We kind of kept it local staycation style and um, had a good time, had a good time, a, a really good time, but wanted to get, um, a recap in on this one. Cause I thought this was an important one to get a recap on one. I love watching Dustin Poirier fight. That dude's absolutely fantastic. Um, and second of all, it was, it was a bonafide fight of the year candidate. Him versus Dan Hooker was absolutely amazing. And I said last week that I don't pick against Dustin Poirier that I'm very biased, but, uh, uh, when it comes to that, I love his coach, Diad Davis, uh, you know, a friend of mine, think the world of him. I think those two as a tandem, um, as good as it gets in the sport, everybody talks about, you know, some of the chemistry that people have over the, the span of mixed martial arts. I think that, you know, Poirier and Diad Davis, as far as striking is concerned is as good as it gets. It really is. And, you know, you think about, in, 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 in fights like this with Dan Hooker and how many Dustin has had like this where they're all just storms of chaos. And we'll get into the, the nitty-gritty of the fight in just a second because it was fantastic. But the these types of fights speak to Dustin Poirier. He is... He is the bane of slugfests. You know, he 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 is born in the chaos. I, and I talked to him about this um, probably last August. I, I talked to him at American Top Team about this before he fought Khabib. And that, you know, he just embraces that. That he embraces the chaos. Um, and it just seems as the crazier the fights get, the better he is. I don't know what it is. I don't know how he can remain so damn calm how he can remain so poised in in the craziest types of fights. Now, just put it in perspective of for you guys, these are the people that he's beaten and have just been hellacious, hellacious fights. You're talking about Max Holloway, maybe the greatest featherweight of all time, one of the greatest volume punches of all time. Eddie Alvarez, the only man to hold a Bellator championship and a UFC championship. Justin Gaethje is now... Uh, where Dustin was as interim lightweight champion of the world with a chance to fight on Habib Nurmagomedov. He beat him, um, outviolenced what everybody seems to think is the most violent individual in the sport of Justin Gaethje, a guy who outsavaged Tony Ferguson. He stopped him. He stopped him and, and, and outsavaged him. Like that, that is the type of animal we are talking about here with Dustin Poirier. So, while the Dan Hooker fight started off and it looked bad, like you know he was he was getting, you know, thwapped with 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 uh, with leg kicks, consistently. Dan was pouring on a lot of volume. Um, there were just still those heavy shots, even in the midst of all of those shots landing for for Dan Hooker early on in the bout. 
Dustin was out there and he was still hitting him with heavy bombs up against the cage and just showing him, you're not going to out tough me. And how that didn't already put uh, put something in Dan Hooker's mind as as we were going into round two. Round two happens, and maybe I you'd be hard pressed to find a lot of rounds better in the sport than that between between Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. The back and forth those two had. Dustin came out guns blazed, and Dan Hooker put it back on him. Started in, implementing the knees into it. Um, very close round. I probably thought, I, I remember watching it, I was like, I want to give that one to Dustin, I want it to be 1-1, but I know that's the fan of me talking, like there was part of me that was saying it, so I thought that we had an absolute classic here, and that we were having a razor-thin fight here, but it was still 2-0 Dan Hooker going into it, but man, if you are Dan Hooker, and you are uh, a man who is on the on the come up, and this is supposed to be your coming out party, you're 30 years old, and you're taking on, uh, you're taking on Paul, uh, you're taking on Dustin Poirier. This is your second um, real war, as he had one with, uh, with with Paul Felder. But there's no fans cheering you on. There's no, there's no hometown crowd behind you. Um, you could start to see that Dan Hooker's will was starting to break. You you could see that it was starting, it was starting to go a little bit. Poor, you know. You know, the, the the point of it being is he started trying to take Dustin down and was succeeding in taking Dustin down. Now, he wasn't really doing much with it because you don't go into these fights like, oh, Dan Hooker's gonna take him down. Like that's that's not you know, we didn't go into this thing of that. And so you have you have Dustin Poirier in a spot where he's going for submissions, he's going to look to end the fight, he's he's uh he's hitting him from from the bottom with vicious elbows, he's got him cut open something nasty. Uh Dan Hooker's looking real bad. Uh, you know, Dustin's looking no, like no first prize himself. Um, and then the fight just, keep, you know, the fight's starting to weigh on. Dustin gets him up against the cage at one point. Really looked like the fight could have been stopped. I mean, it's a credit to Dan Hooker that he was able to get through that. But it looked like, um, you know, Dustin was going to finish it up. And I think that if he hadn't already gone through two rounds of hell early on in the fight, that we would have been in a spot where, yeah, he probably is finishing him off. But... You got to remind that th- this is not only a question of Dustin Poirier uh, going out there and he is a- a- and he's trying to finish the fight, but he's also he's also trying to survive himself. And so, yeah, it, it really was it was getting brutal by by round four. That was a, a bludgeoning by Poirier. One one judge had it at 10 eight and we got to the final bell. Poirier again, round five. It just didn't seem like Dan Hooker had really much of anything left. And it was crazy because there was a point where you were looking at, and, and Dan Dominic Cruz talked about this back in round two, where you're like, there's three minutes left in round two, and this is a five-round fight. How is this going to continue? And it wasn't really possible for 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 Dan Hooker to p- put what he what he put out on Dustin Poirier and keep going. He's just not used to that. Poirier is. Like Poirier has been in there with with guys where he is he is getting in and and the fights seem crazy and they seem like the guy who who is uh who's just dishing out uh, is just dishing out maybe not as much but he's dishing out maybe the I think what are the stronger blows and eventually that's going to add up over a five round fight and that's what it is man and his his ability to get these shots and his accuracy in, in in what they're, they're like these fist tsunamis that he's in there with. I it just 
you marvel at it when you watch it. You're just like, how? And you feel like he's he's taking these shots because everybody looks at, you know, I just don't think that this dude gets the credit that he deserves, you know? And I said this leading up to the times where it was, you know, he finally got his shot against Khabib where it was like, you know, 25 minutes to make life fair, that whole thing. Because, you know, you think about a guy who back, you know, what, six years ago was knocked out by Conor McGregor at featherweight and, you know, has had two losses since then. One was a, was a, a freak knockout loss to Michael Johnson that he ran into. And the other one is to maybe the best lightweight of all time. That's crazy. And then you go and you look at the, the, the lineage of, of guys that he's beaten the current interim lightweight champion of the world, the former lightweight champ, uh, he's, he's beaten one, two, three, three, uh, three former lightweight champions of the world, one former featherweight champion of the world. Um, that's insane, man. That's an insane resume for DP. It really is. And all the props to him, man. I just, I, I, I really, really marveled at him yesterday. Um, a lot of the questions were what's next, what's next for Dustin Poirier. This is what my answer is for that. Whatever the hell he wants to be next, honestly, because I feel like with the continuous great fights that he's gone on there for, and you're talking about, you know, you want to talk about exciting fighters, right? This dude has been fight of the night. One, he's had, let's say since his Michael Johnson loss in 2016, he's had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight fights. He's had one, two, three, four, five fight of the nights in eight fights. Five fight of the nights in eight fights. Probably should have been six if Eddie Alvarez didn't illegally knee him. He also has a performance of the night bonus in that. So he has six bonuses over that case. He obviously has the one loss to Habib. So out of his seven wins in his last eight fights, six of them have had bonuses. That's so crazy. So, and one of them was a and one of them was a no contest, not by his fault. The dude, the dude's a stud. I mean, he's 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 box office every time that he steps into the octagon. So, what is next for him? You know, everybody goes to the uh, the the mouth of mixed martial arts. Uh, Ariel Helwani, and Ariel's goes. He says Poirier versus Tony Ferguson. Who says no? And if I'm Poirier, I'm like. I'm saying no. Why do I got to fight Tony for? Let me ask you something. Let's let's talk about what's down the pipe, okay? Legitimately, this 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 is what's what's going to happen, all right? Namaga Madoff and Gaethje are going to fight in September for the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. If Khabib wins, he's not fighting Tony Ferguson, he's not fighting Dustin Poirier, he's not fighting anybody other than Conor McGregor. That's that. Um, I don't think Connor's going to fight Dustin. I don't think Connor's going to fight Tony. I think he's going to sit and wait until September, this whole season of McGregor thing. The damage is done, my friend. It's not going to happen. So for Poirier, you're going to say you're in this position right now, right? And you're like, oh, we'll go fight Tony. All right. I guess if he wants a paycheck, go fight Tony. Fine. But here's the thing. What if Gaethje wins the lightweight championship of the world? What if he wins? Because a lot of this time, a lot of this stuff is based upon who wears the crown and who is the guy at the top. 
Oh, I think a big reason why Connor doesn't want to fight Dustin Poirier is like, how could I do better? Why would I want to fight Dustin Poirier again? He's clearly gotten a lot better. He's clearly better at 155 pounds. Why in God's green earth would I want to fight that guy that I knocked out in the first round four years ago? Why would I want to try and do better than that? I probably won't. If you're Dustin Poirier, you're thinking to yourself, hold on a second. I am one of the best lightweights on the planet. I've had six fight of the nights in my last eight fights. And the interim lightweight champion of the world, the guy that everybody dubs the most violent man in UFC, I stopped that guy. And he has a good chance to go beat Nurmagomedov. If he beats Khabib, who has a better argument at the championship than Dustin Poirier? Connor's win is over Donald Cerrone. Okay. That's no bueno. That's like, you know, du- you know, Donald is looking quite over the hill right now. No disrespect. You know he's a legend. I love him. Tony Ferguson's coming off a loss. Khabib would be coming off a loss. So if I'm looking up and down the top four right now, and I'm I'm trying to figure out who's the next who's next in line. If Khabib wins, yeah, you don't go to Dustin because he beat Dustin. I understand that. Why wouldn't Magomedov want to fight Dustin Poirier again? And it's not the box office that Connor is. So I know for all you smart asses who are going to hit me with that, save it for me. But if you are, if you are Khabib, okay, you don't you're not going to fight Dustin. Again. But if you're Justin Gaethje, who by the way was. Very, very, uh, very, what's the word I'm looking for? Very supportive, giving a lot of love, giving a lot of appreciation to Poirier and Dan Hooker yesterday, saying these guys show that they want to be in the championship picture. If you're Justin Gaethje and you're on the top, you know, everybody's going to go there and they're going to say, oh, well, what's next? It's Connor. Is it Connor? Is it Connor? If Justin Gaethje wins the championship, if he's the undisputed lightweight champion of the world, Conor McGregor deserves a championship fight over Dustin Poirier? Why? Because he knocked him out in a different weight class half a decade ago? I mean, look at look at the murderer's row that Dustin Poirier has won over his span where Conor was out there boxing and, you know, getting arrested and all that type of stuff. Look what this guy's put on, on, on paper. What, what he's put in the ring with blood, sweat, and tears. And if he were to have a win over the current lightweight champion of the world, you're telling me that guy doesn't deserve another crack at the title? In what weight class does that happen? Where a guy has this kind of resume at a weight class, loses to the champion, comes back, has the fight of the year against a top five opponent, who you guys were looking to usher into the title picture, and he said, no, no. Who doesn't get a title shot off of that when he has a win over the champ? He's got a very good argument. So when you ask what's next for Dustin Poirier, here's what I would do. I would sit on my ass. I would recover. I just had a year where I had the longest layoff in my in my career. I had hip surgery. I had a lot of a lot of you know unknowns about when you were going to be back in action. You know, I would I would rest up and I would watch where the pieces fall. Go out and fight Tony Ferguson. Why? Tony's coming off a loss. He lost to Gaethje. I beat Gaethje. Why why do why do I have to go beat Tony Ferguson if I'm if I'm Dustin Poirier? That's stupid. All respect to Tony. You know I love him. I'm, it, look, 
All these guys in, in 155, there's not, there's not a one among them I don't love watching the fight. That's why it's the best division in the sport. But get you get the hell out of here. You think I need now if you gotta go, you know, if Khabib is champion and you go beat Tony and and that's what gets you back, okay, we have that talk. If Khabib is champion again, then you could talk about going to fight Tony Ferguson. But if I'm if I'm Poirier, I'm not I'm not going out there and I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit there and possibly lose a fight when I'm a, when I when I'm a I'm I'm a Justin Gaethje win away from having a win over the reigning champ and having a better championship contender argument than anybody else in the division. Hell no, no way. So what's Dustin Poirier gonna do next? I hope we don't know a, a, a thing about it up until September when we find out who is the reigning lightweight champion of the world. If it's Khabib, then you talk about going to fight Tony Ferguson or trying to uh, wiggle your way into a Conor McGregor fight. You know, then you have those talks, you have that stress. But if you're talking about trying to be champion of the world and, you know, you're you're a result away from having a win over the reigning champ, I'm waiting that out, man. You know, I mean, look, if Conor McGregor does come, does come a knocking, if he, if he actually, he won't do it. But if he does, obviously you take the Conor fight. Uh, it's life-changing money and stuff like that. And I'm sure, you know, Dustin Poirier, who's got a beautiful family, I'm sure is just like, all right. And I'm sure you'd be like, yes, I finally got that opportunity to get him. Um, but the idea of fighting Tony Ferguson, I don't know, man. I'm just, if anybody has to go fight Tony, in my mind, it's Conor. Because Connor's resume, his last win, although very impressive in beating in, in beating Cowboys shoulder strikes, very impressive. Um, in my mind, the the resume needs a little bit more polishing. He probably, I mean, he probably doesn't because of the star that he is. But I'm just saying, if anybody has to fight, if anybody has to fight Tony to prove themselves title worthy, Dustin or Connor, right now it's Connor. Um, if Khabib wins, then Dustin, you know, you could talk about the, the Ferguson fight, but if Gaethje wins, dude, I, I got a win over Gaethje. What the hell do I need to go fight? Go, go fight Tony Ferguson for That's stupid. Jeez. Sweaty in this, uh, the studio today. Anyway, um, shout out to Dustin Poirier. Shout out to my guy, Diane Davis for getting a win too, man. Boca boxing district stand up. Good for them. Um, uh, other results from this. What do we got from this one? We got. Uh, Mike Perry, he got a win over Mickey Gall. He won via unanimous decision, 29-28. Pretty easy fight to score. Mike Perry got himself uh, a win with his girlfriend in his corner. That's the story. Um, I watched a lot of Mike Perry interviews this week. Uh, that dude that dude was on one. Um, I don't disagree with all that he's saying as far as, like, you know, um, the taking advantage of, the, the he feels like the coaches take advantage, the people around you as fighters take advantage. I get jive with all that because I think that that does happen with fighters a lot. I think it happens a, a ton with fighters. Um, it was he was talking about afterwards where he's just like he's got to work out some tax. I guess he's very in trouble with the tax man, so he's got to figure that out. Um, but look, you know Mike Perry, he got an entertaining fight. He's an entertaining personality. You know that and that goes a long way. He was a it was a much needed win for him for sure because that record that record was uh, was definitely looking dicey from where it was so you know good for him i think that the uh the the girlfriend you know it's sad. the the thing that's interesting he says he wants to go train with yoel romero that he wants to move up to 185 uh seemingly for a showdown with darren till so uh, you know might uh, so um 
Mike Perry might be our neighbor soon. It sounds like he's coming down to Miami. He's going to fight with Yoel uh, down at his camp with uh, Yuli Diaz. And I think that we're going to see a lot of Mickey of, uh, of Mike Perry down here in South Florida, which is uh, look, Mike, it's a great place for people to come when you're running away from taxes. I know you've been in Florida anyway, but South Florida has got a different kind of vibe to it. So we welcome you, sir. We welcome you with open arms. Welcome to welcome to South Florida from Mike Perry. Um, so good for him. Maurice Green, uh, he got a submission win. Arm triangle choke over Jan Vellante. Awesome moment for him. He's like crying. He's bawling his eyes out. You know, I try. I dare you not to get choked up watching uh, Maurice Green's interview with John Anik afterwards. Brendan Allen over Kyle Dawkins. Um, somebody had you know had it thirty twenty seven. I didn't see that. Um, the, the scores were all over 29, 28, 29, 27, 30, 27. They were all over the place. I thought, I thought 29, 28 for Brendan Allen was the place to have it. Um, Takashi Sato got a win over Jason Witt, easy TKO quick fight. I went into, I was actually walking back from city place with my wife. We stopped to get a milkshake. They had the fights on. I saw Bruce buffer. I go, I pay, pay the man for, uh, for our milkshakes. I turn around and Sato is, uh, Sato is uh, already victorious. So, that was a quick one. Just caught it on the replay for full disclosure there. Um, let's see. Kama Worthy got a win over Luis Pena. He won via submission. Uh, I watched that fight. We were watching that fight in the hotel room. That was actually the last fight my wife and I. It was, I was, I was, I tell you what, man, I was more attractive. About it. She was sitting there. She was watching the fights with me. Uh, my wife, she just, you know, people think, oh, does your wife like sport, love sports? No, 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 she doesn't. She doesn't love sports at all. She'll be into stories. She likes stories. You know what she likes? Well, she like, likes watching real sports. She'll be into sports documentaries. I can get her into those, but watching sports, no. But she was actually watching. She was like, you know, sitting there watching uh, Luis Pena versus uh, Kama Worthy. She liked the guy's nickname, Violent Bob Ross. So we were watching this a little bit. And I thought Luis Pena technically was looking good in a lot of spots. Um, but just from my, you know, just from my fat ass watching on television, just looked like Kama was way too strong for him. And really, uh, Luis, who was in good positions with stuff, just, just couldn't get the muscle on him to put him away. So that looked like his big issue with that. Um, obviously for Violet Bob Ross, he's another one, one of those young fighters who's, I think got a nice little profile as far as uh, his career is concerned. You know, since uh, since coming on the scene, but you know he's got 500 record now, so got a lot of work to do. But he's been working at American Top Team. You know he's in good hands there. We'll see what happens with Violent Bob Ross and Kama. Like, listen, Kama Worthy's coming on here, and he's had he's basically been the 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 showstopper for his first two fights. You know he's he's come on the scene, and everybody's like, ah, you know he's supposed to go in there and he's supposed to lose, and he is not. He's come out victorious now. In a couple in a couple fights in a row, where you've had his win over Devonte Smith, which was back in August, and now this one over Pena. So, really, really fun night of uh, fun night of fights. Dustin Poirier, shout out Dan Hooker, shout out, awesome show by you boys. Uh, and as for Dan Hooker, I guess you know all I want to say in regards to him is that dude is fun. He is a fun fighter. Um, I do think that. He uh, definitely has the potential to uh, to 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 do big things in this division. I don't want to say yet that I think Dan Hooker is a championship worthy fighter. Um, as of yet, I still think that there's still some polishing off that has to go there. Um, but I, I do think that he is very exciting and that he is uh, like many in this division, a lot of fun to watch. 
So really, really enjoy that night of fights, everybody. Thank you for watching our recap. Get to the rest of the show here on the podcast right after this. And have a great week, everybody. Good Sunday morning, everybody. Welcome on in. It's Fighters Fury here on 790 The Ticket. Hope everybody's having a fantastic weekend. Let's take a little bit to dive all over the world of mixed martial arts and boxing. Got a great interview coming up today with the magic man, Antonio Tarver. Um, he's got some new new, new responsibilities, new hat put on as he is uh, diving into the world of training. And he's going to be training uh, local undefeated welterweight Harold Calderon. He has also been actually training down here at Vander Holyfield with a little side of Vladimir Klitschko, but mostly Holyfield, um, as he's been doing some stuff with the heavyweight factory. So we'll talk to Antonio Tarver about that. I think you guys will really enjoy that conversation. He's always one of my favorite boxing guests to have. And so looking forward to that. Um, this week in the world of UFC, we like to call this as the disgruntled star turns. Um, we had some updates. We got to finally hear from Jorge Masvidal as he did an Instagram live where you guys can go see all of his clips now. He's posted them on YouTube, which is uh, which is a fantastic. By the way, that's a that's a that's a that's a money way to go get views for him. Is like you just you do the Instagram live, then you chop it all up. You're doing half the work. This guy working 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 smarter, not harder. But um, yeah, did an Instagram live. I want to say it was Wednesday, maybe it was Tuesday. I forget. But he uh, he addressed the the pay thing. Um, you know, mostly was upset about the comments that Dana White made last week where Dana said that it's an opportunity, not a career. And obviously for somebody like Masvidal, that's got to be an annoying thing to hear when you've been doing it for, for 16 years. Um, that's a career, man. The two decades, you make it almost two decades doing something. That's a career. You've made a living. You've, you've been able to keep the lights on, pay your bills, take care of your family for two years, uh, for, for 16 years. You know, getting punched in the face, punching people in the face, all that type of stuff. So, uh, was most upset about that. You know, said that he was going to fight in 2020, but um, you know, they're right, they're just in a standoff right now. And I think if you're Jorge Masvidal right now, the uh, the big thing that you got to hope for is that this fight island bombs. Like that's that's got to be the big hope for him is that come come July 11th, I think it is. UFC 251, Kamara Usman versus Gilbert Burns, and Volkanovski versus Max Holloway, and Piotr Jan against uh, Jose Aldo. All those fights, you got to hope that that card's a real stinker. You know, not only you got to hope that it's not only a real stinker, but you got to hope that nobody buys it. And I don't think it's going to be a big blockbuster fight. You know, I was talking to Lex McMahon from Titan FC this week, is you know they had their card this weekend, and. You know, he was he was like, this isn't a it's not a big money fight. It's it's the fight it's the guy that said yes, and this is a guy who's very close to both of those guys in the main event. He loves them both to death, but you know, he was saying like, you know, it was probably it's probably even a, a shake for Camaro because he thought that, you know, fighting Jorge Masvidal was gonna be big money. You know, he doesn't like Jorge Masvidal, that's for sure. But uh but he's gotta recognize what kind of a what kind of a, a draw the guy has been, especially after the year that he had in 2019, and the fact that he had that type of a year and that we're at this point is uh, is is kind of disappointing. So it's uh, it's one of those things where you know I can understand why Masvidal is quite annoyed from a comment like that. But yeah, man, these stories are coming out 
left and right as far as the fighter pay is concerned. Um, now, look, the funny, th- the, the, the funny thing that's interesting about this is we haven't really gotten to the point because it's not, you know, it's not the first time we've had fighter pay issues, but it's definitely, I believe, the first time that we've had the most famous names all have they all have stories putting their name to why they're upset about their pay. Paige Van Zant this week told Ariel Helwani that um, she made more money from Dancing with the Stars uh, than her entire UFC career. But I will say with Paige, um, you know, part of the reason she's getting Dancing with the Stars is because she's in the UFC. You know, the the fact that she is uh, she, the, that she is a fighter in the UFC these doors do open to her does she have as many instagram followers does she have this crazy fan base i don't know she has been on monster ratings hit though that that that, you know that that can't be denied people do care about watching her do turn in to watch her um even though i wouldn't you know i wouldn't go out on a limb and say Paige is an elite fighter i would say that she's probably taken the opportunity of the ufc and marketed that into something uh, uh better than maybe anybody else on the roster honestly so you had that story come out this week. I know Sugar Sean O'Malley, he was on Food Truck Diaries with uh, Brendan Chobb, and he had said that uh, he made only three grand off of what was a million in sales with the Reebok deal. I mean, the Reebok, that's an OG. You want to talk about an OG uh, money issue, it was the Reebok deal, which I think I think does come up this week. But holy hell, that was, I, I mean, really that was the first time I really remember Farty Pay being an issue because a lot of the times a big reason why these guys could keep their, you know, the UFC keep the kept kept the salaries down. Um maybe wasn't what boxing was, but their sponsorships, guys could put whatever they basically wanted on their shorts, and they were still making a ton of cash. So, you know, that 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 also came out. I think the most fascinating one though came from John Jones, who told Steve O. Yep, a lot of scoops coming out. Um, he told Steve-O this week, he says, I don't want to fight soon. I have no interest in fighting the UFC until I get paid what I believe I'm worth. If I have a bad relationship with Dana White, sit out for two years, three years, bring light to what's happening, then things are, uh, then these thi- are the things that people remember you more for than winning belts. I stood for the younger fighters. Okay, well... That's an interesting that's an interesting twist to put on it for John. Like does he care about the younger fighters? Like if like you know, cuz if Dana White did do a one-off or let him go fight Mike Tyson or any of that stuff, would he uh would he make some grandstand and would it trickle down? I don't know. I mean, Conor McGregor got to go fight Floyd Mayweather. Conor McGregor got these big uh these big paydays and you know, we're still dealing with these issues. And the money has gotten bigger. It has gotten bigger. Now, it probably it's not where it should be, but it has gotten bigger. So, you know, I guess let's 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 go to the idea though that that John forget about John st- standing for the younger fighters because, you know, usually a lot of what he says had some insincerity to it. The idea that he sits out for two three years would that help him in his cause to get a big time fight? I don't know. I don't know. Because I think that the thing we've all been waiting for is just John to go to heavyweight. 
win the heavyweight title. This seems like a, a, a as good a time as any. I understand who wants to fight Francis Ngannou on a terrible deal or a deal you don't deem fair, but will some big holdout really help him? I don't know. Um, I think it could do a couple things. One, I don't think it hurts because if he does go away, you get the chance to establish um, maybe somebody new at 205, whether that be Dominic Reyes. And if Dominic Reyes got the belt, Dom could really be, he could be in a different spot than Daniel Cormier was. Because one of the problems was, one of the problems with John, uh, with Daniel was, is that he never really got the credit that he thought he deserved for being the light heavyweight champion with John Jones inactive, even though, you know, it's not his fault that John Jones was inactive. So if we're at the spot with Dominic Reyes and he's able to go win the title, I think he's going to be in a different spot than Daniel Cormier was because a lot of people thought that he beat John Jones. A lot of people thought that, you know, he was better than John Jones that night. And so I think that's going to help him a lot in building a case to, to, to get John back out of retirement or to build a bigger fight or just get a reign over a division, some new blood in there. I think that could help. Um, but the other argument is, look, he's not Conor McGregor. He's not, he's, not, uh, he's not that kind of a draw to where people are going to be crazy for it. The, and, and a lot of times he's one of these guys who's a lot like uh, Canelo Alvarez in that he could be a big draw with the right matchup, which I think is why he does deserve FU money for a Francis Ngannou fight, because I do think that would be a monster, because you're talking about you know, the GOAT taking on the scariest thing in the sport. So I do think that deserves a lot of dough. But I do think that if he were to go, I I don't know that people would be clamoring for him. I, I don't I don't think that's the case. Um, because his greatness hasn't necessarily equated to being this mainstream star like a Deontay Wilder, even though he's headlined more cards that have, that have had success than Deontay Wilder or a lot of heavyweight boxers. He really has. But, you know, if you're going to compare it to what, like, the A1, the you know, the Rondas, the the Brocks, the, the McGregors, if you're going to compare it to that, no, he hasn't gotten to that other than probably the uh, the, the DC fights. Um, but he's been good. I mean, like, look, I think there's got to be some respect in being a solid draw and being a guy that um, has reigned for that long and has just been the best. He hasn't been... You know, he's not he's not he's not Demetrius Johnson, where it's been like, yeah, he's he's the greatest, he's maybe the greatest of all time, but he's got the worst numbers ever. He you know, but he's also not George St. Pierre. He's he's not he's not on his greatness, has a nation behind him, and you know, millions are always tuning in to watch GSP. He's not that either. He's you know, he's 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 a little bit more of a of a swaying scale on that. So would John Jones leaving for a couple of years help his cause? To me, I don't think so. You know, I, I think that, you know, the best thing for John to do almost is he's got, he's almost like, I think the move is to like do something to like antagonize Francis. You know, like I think it's, I think it's whatever Francis's next fight is, or if Francis is going to be at Stipe versus DC. 
I think it's almost like go to go there, sit in the crowd, you know, make it make it a W, you know, get the fans buzzing even more for that fight. That's what I think should happen. You know, when when Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz was recently made, it was so organic. You know, it was just like Nate Diaz called out Jorge Masvidal and we all just we we all just bit for it you know immediately we're just like yes that is the fight and they had to make it they had to make it took some hemming and hawing you know they were going to go with colby versus camaro but eventually they're just like eff it the fight that we need to make is nate diaz versus jorge masvidal i think for john the move here is you got to go poke the bear a little bit and it may not be what he wants to do because he may feel disrespected and he may feel like why should i have to do that i've been doing this for so long I get you, but listen, in this case, you got to be the antagonist here because Francis is the silent killer. He's the guy who doesn't say much, can't really promote too much. You know, you're going to be promoting on his physicality more so than his words. So the way Francis promotes a big fight is you show that damn highlight, uh, that highlight reel with John. It's got to be, it's got to be the words. It's got to be him versus UFC. It's got to be, it's got to be all that. Uh, play the bad guy a little bit and and if not the bad guy at least the guy who wants this challenge the guy who wants this this absolute monster and to tackle him and to show that it's it's skill over brawn it's 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 mixed martial arts over brute strength all that type of stuff I think I think he could go a couple of ways here where he could actually be pretty beloved by the mixed martial arts fan be the guy that the MMA fan is rooting for over Francis because Francis is just the quintessential knockout artist. And with that being the case, I think it gets a lot of buzz behind it. I don't think sitting out does a lot for him. Look, John's done more sitting out than any UFC star. And it hasn't helped with his popularity. It hasn't helped with his paychecks. If anything, it's probably hurt him. So, you know, I get it. He wants to... He wants to put out there that he's going to stay strong and that he's not going to bend on this. Cool. That's, that's uh, understandable, but is it the best tactic to take? I don't know. I would get my ass to, to UFC 252 steep a versus DC. You know, Francis Ngannou is going to be there. I would be having the media talk about, you know, me versus Francis being the next era of heavyweight. And, and that, that is the route I would go if I was him. And if I was his management team, I wouldn't be talking about this, you know, this crap about sitting out for two years. That's that unfortunately for him. Like, look, if, if you were talking about a guy who never missed fights, a guy who just kind of went on forever. And and I understand he's been doing it for a long time, but has had these pockets where we haven't seen him. We've kind of been the John. We've, we've been down the road of, I, I don't get to see John Jones. We've been down that road. And this isn't a story of redemption. This is like a story of, yeah, he's sitting out because he wants a big fat paycheck. You know, I, I think that's the way to go. You show up to that heavyweight championship fight and you start getting people talking about you versus Francis. That's the way I'd go. Get the Make it so the fans go crazy about it and you can't be denied. We'll talk to the magic man, Antonio Tarver. We're back after this. Welcome back, everybody. It is Fighters Fury here on 7 Night of the Ticket. I always love talking to this guy. I love talking boxing with this guy. I think he's a great personality. He's always fun to talk to, 
And it's funny, I got to see him a couple times recently in social media. He's been active on a different side of things. You know, uh, Antonio Tarver's been uh, training, training folks. He's been training his son for a while, but uh, if you've been watching on Instagram, I've been seeing him train Evander Holyfield. He's been uh, hanging out with Holyfield and Klitschko. And this past week, I got pumped because... I saw him with uh, with with Harold Calderon, King Calderon, a big time friend of the show, undefeated welterweight boxer from Miami, and they went to Las Vegas. They were working out in the Mayweather gym. They Instagram lived it, and I was like, man, I really I want to talk to Tarver about this. Like, what's what's going on here? Get the story from him, and see what this perspective is. So uh, we tracked down the Magic Man this week and discussed what he is doing with Evander Holyfield training him for a Mike Tyson trilogy, and uh, what his new ties are with Miami's own Harold King Calderon. So here is our conversation with the magic man, Antonio Tarver. He joined us earlier this week on Tobin and Leroy. What really sparked me this uh, this week was he was uh, he was training one of our own down here from Miami, our guy Harold Calderon, the king. Uh, you guys have partnered up now. Like, how did, you, how did this partnership come to be, you and Harold, uh, mixing it up and, and you training him? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a believer that, you know, things happen organically sometimes and, you know, God just works in mysterious ways. But uh, I was down there working with Holyfield and Klitschko uh, down at the heavyweight factory and I'm moving around Miami like I normally do. And uh, I'm coming out of uh, Walmart or something and then we're dealing with this pandemic. You know, everybody got their mask and stuff on. It's hard to recognize anybody. But for some reason, I'm looking at this guy and as close as I get to him, I'm recognizing like that's Harold Calderon, the king, right? So I'm like, man, what's up? And the first thing he say, man, where you been? I'm waiting on you. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I said, you ready? I said, all right, well, this is what we're doing. You know, and uh, about six, seven months ago, I uh, formed my uh, management team, uh, Signature Punch. And uh, we signed uh, one of, uh, I think, one of the uh, brightest heavyweights in the game, a uh, young guy uh, by the name of Dunstan, you know, uh, and uh, Big Taz Cortez Dunstan from Baltimore, tough streets of Baltimore, I might yep. add. Uh, but he, he relocated to Tampa, and the first time I saw this guy, I knew something was special about him. So we signed him. He was our first signee, and then I run into to Harold. And the reason why uh, I know Harold so well is when I was training down there with my great trainer, Orlando Cuellar, he was also training Harold. I was bringing my son down. He was training with Harold, sparring with Harold. They were both getting in shape, getting great work. I always knew Harold was a special, special fighter. It's one of those things that, you know, we, sometimes the, the, the great fighters, the good fighters don't get the break or the opportunity they deserve because they're not in the click or they're not in the, the know when it comes to the business of boxing. Right. So with that being said, you know, I've been in the game some 22 years. I've had, you know, um, a lot of success. I've had an opportunity to work with a lot of the networks, ESPN, Showtime. Fox, you know, I've had some type of affiliation with practically all of them from either working as a commentator or either fighting as a boxer. So using those relationships, I've been able to formulate my management team who we believe, I believe is going to be, I think, one of the, you know, uh, best management companies in the business of boxing because I know what these fighters need. I know what it takes and I'm trying to give these fighters opportunities and I know once they get the opportunities, they dream can come true just as well as mine came true. It's all about getting the opportunities. So that's those are the doors that I'm trying to break down. 
open that floodgate and give these deserving guys the opportunity. And I think Harold, I believe, is the best kept secret in boxing right now, being that he's in the best weight class, the welterweight division, the old same weight, uh, weight class that Mayweather owned and dominated for years. Now you got guys like Bud Crawford, Errol Spence, and I think Harold Calderon name should be mentioned in those likes. He's 22-0. and 0, He's with 15 knockouts and without, you know, the, the hype and without the press. He's done it the hard way, and I think he deserves the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've you know, been to like a half dozen of Harold's fights down here. The guy packs every building that they have him on the marquee down here locally. An entire building, you know, January. That's one of the hardest things to do on, on your on your own, uh, Antonio, is just getting that the, these local venues all filled up. So what do you think that secret sauce is to, 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 to get them recognized? You were a guy who was heavily avoided a lot in your career. Uh, wasn't the guy that everybody wanted to tape, you know, you know, Southpaw. Nobody likes taking on the Southpaws either, just like uh, just like Harold is. So um, what do you what do you think it is? Like, what is that thing that, that can help boxers take that next level, that secret sauce that makes them go from A to B, that, 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 that next level? Well, I want to definitely be the connector. And that's what I think is missing. I, you know, I'm going to connect Harold with the people that I know can put him on that platform. You know, and, and that's and give him a fair shot of opportunity, you know, where the deck isn't stacked, you know, and and, and he's not fighting uphill, you know. So that's what we're going to do. We went out to Vegas uh, just recently. I sat down with the money team, Floyd Mayweather. Carol was right there and we ate dinner and we talked business. And those are the type of connections that I'm trying to bring and to make a difference in these young guys' career. Let's go to the horse's mouth. The people that are making the things, you know, making the game go. The th people that are making things happen in boxing from a network standpoint. And that's all Harold's missing. The networks. That's all he needs. The backing. Tarver, I, I want to ask you this because you, you talk about not only training people but managing them also. How hard is it, being a great fighter that you were, to take a young fighter and be able to train him understanding he might not be able to do the things you did? Well, you know what? I'm not asking him to do the things I did. I'm asking him to find the things that's within him. His right. story could be whole, totally different than mine, you know? And I'm not trying to duplicate anything I did because that's in the record books, you know what I mean? I'm trying right. to show the world that I can be instrumental in developing champions and stars in boxing. I think when you look at my mindset, the things that I had to overcome, I think that in itself speaks volume. And this is the type of confidence I'm trying to instill in anybody that I'm training. They have to believe in themselves wholeheartedly. It's not going to come easy. You shouldn't expect it to come easy. But if you get that opportunity, it only comes once in a lifetime. You got to cash in on it. You got to cash in on it. I would love to see Harold in that, on that stage against a Bud Crawford, against someone like an Errol Spence, so that on that one given night, he can show the world that they all slept on, I think, one of the best fighters in the world today. That's Harold Calderon. We're talking to Antonio Tarver. Now, can you uh, tell us about the connection that happened with you and Holyfield and Klitschko? Because uh, that was, I saw, you know, I was, you know, everybody was seeing the Evander comeback and, you know, people are pumped about all the, uh, the, the, the legends kind of getting back into it. But I was like, 
hold on, who's who's that damn in the ring? Is that is that Tarver holding mitts for him? Is like, is he getting him ready? So, like, is how how did that how did that connection uh, come underway? And and give us kind of the scoop of it, man. What is uh, Evander thinking about with this comeback and and Klitschko too? Well, I have to take my hat off to uh, Evander Holyfield manager Chris Lawrence. So, if you are familiar with the boxing business in the Miami area. He's a, a real, uh, you know, staple in that. He works with the Hard Rock. He's promoted some of the biggest shows down there. And we connected. And, uh, you know, all I wanted was an opportunity. Chris brought me in. Holyfield and I worked beautifully together. And realistically, you know, um, I personally would never put anyone in harm's way. And that's not what we do as trainers because we know this is a hurt business. And we know that people can get seriously hurt in this business. That's why. Uh, four-time world heavyweight champion Vander Holyfield understands that, and he's getting his body in shape for whatever. But right now, he's just looking for an opportunity to do something great with a great fighter like M Mike Tyson. You see Mike Tyson is back at it. Both of these guys are looking phenomenal. And it just shows you, man, that age is nothing but a number. And, you know, we're about spirit, you know, and we're about, you know, that soul. And uh, these guys are putting it all out there. I train with Evander, and I'm telling you, man, I was impressed. You know, because he did so much and he just kept going, he kept going. I mean, he still has desire. And I'm like, wow. And I'm looking at myself and I'm like, I'm only, I mean, I'm a young 51. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, <laughs> you know, he, he inspired me some, you know what I mean? I'm like, I never thought I'd be, you know, you know, like motivated to train again and do all that. But watching Evander Holyfield on the beach, running hills, lifting weights, I mean, putting it in. I mean, I had to look in the mirror, like, man, hey, what are you doing? Like, I'm healthy and strong, you know, like, but I'm really comfortable on the other side. But to be in Evander Holyfield's corner, a legend, living legend, I mean, it's just another, you know, one of those feathers in my cap. And uh, I'm excited, man. If we get that opportunity, I'm going to be right there for him. Do you, do you think that that is, like, the A plan for both of these guys? Because uh, everybody, like you said, everybody's seen the Tyson video. Um, you know, I've, everybody's coming for Tyson. Like that's, that's everybody's like from John bones, Jones in MMA to bare knuckle fighting, offering him 20 million to everybody wants to see the trilogy with Holyfield. Like, what do you think is a one? Like is a one you think of Vander Holyfield? What, what, what do you, uh, what do you feel it's going to be? You know what I think for, you know, they deserve each other, you know, because you know, it would be unrealistic to think that Mike Tyson could step in the ring with these, uh, young, big, strong uh, you know, youthful guys today. But if, you know, guys like Holyfield can get in shape and, and like Tyson can get in shape, who wouldn't want to see those guys, those legendary fighters, step back in there and, and you know, give us a, a peep of what it was like back in the day, you know, when, you know, both of these guys really, you know, really garnered all of boxing's attention. Mike Tyson, Holyfield, I mean, it was about, for about 10 years they dominated the sport, just those two names alone. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it would be great for them. And then, you know, I, w I don't think anyone would get hurt in an in a, in a, in a exhibition between two guys that are similar age, similar experience. They've both been to the mountaintop. I mean, they'll give us a flash of what it was like back in the day. But I think both to be safe to say that I don't think anybody can get hurt in that, in that type of in, in exhibition. So I'm one, I'm one that's all for that. Anything other than that, I don't know where the you know the success rate could be when it comes down to our health and that's just being 100 and i've always been open and honest about that since you got the uh the training trainer's hat on uh you know sticking with the the current day heavyweight picture uh tyson fury versus deontay wilder they're gonna have their trilogy sometime at the end of the year 
what did you make of the the rematch? Because I was one where I thought like Deontay going into that second fight, he got he got him down twice in the first one. He only needs that small window, um, and he's had he's had that success with that power so much. Obviously, it's it's easy to become reliant upon. Do you think he could find it within himself to to get Tyson uh, to get Tyson Fury down in the third fight, or did we just see another side of Tyson Fury to now he's not only outboxing him, now he's bullying him in the in the in the rematch? Like, does do you think there's any window for for Deontay to get him, or or is this Tyson's show now? I mean, you know, everybody's entitled to to make adjustments. That's why I personally don't like to watch films of anybody that I'm fighting, because the last time I watched a film was of Eric Hardy. And I didn't think what I saw in that film that this guy could even compete with me. Well, lo and behold, I, I found out the hard way that not only could he compete, but he kind of gave it to me the first fight, broke my jaw and everything. You know, thank God for rematches. I was able to come back and vindicate myself. Now, I say rematch because the rematch has always already happened. When you look at boxing over the years of boxing, the rematch really tells the tale of both fighters because they've had a chance to be in the ring with each other. They know what to expect, you know? Uh, so, but they go back to the drawing board and they have an opportunity to make and get everything right that they, the mistakes that they made, they get a chance to fix it. That rematch really showed, I think, who's the better fighter. I think he, he bullied him. He knew he could bully him because it was so easy to box him. So he took it, it took it another step further. Let me, let me go in here and see, can I just manhandle Deontay Wilder? And it, it worked. And now I think Deontay Wilder has to be honest with himself. I think that's the only way he can fix this, is be honest with himself. That's a hard thing to do when you got so many people around you that's being, and I'm not saying this is the case, dishonest. Well, at least not letting him or allowing him to truly look in the mirror. From a trainer standpoint, a management standpoint, even from a production, a promoter standpoint. Somebody has to be honest with Deontay Wilder, somebody that he respects. You know, I told it like it was after the first fight. It looked like he was a fish out of water, like he never even had any experience in boxing. This is a guy that was a bronze, bronze medal in the Olympics. This is a guy that's a heavyweight champion, undefeated. And it looks like he didn't know the basic fundamentals of the game. So that's where Deontay Wilder is missing fundamentals and all you need to do is sharpen up the basic fundamentals in order to work off of that and give yourself a chance you got to be able to know that you can't back up standing tall they teach that in the first week of boxing never lean back and he's doing all of these you know making all of these mistakes and Tyson Fury is making him pay I'm totally against the trilogy right now because I just don't think Wilder has that type of teacher in there that can speak his language and get through to this kid and let him understand that man power don't mean nothing if you can't land it effectively it means nothing so you know with that being said i think he has to get back to the drawing board i offered my i offered my services i said hey bring me in man you don't have to fire anyone just let me come in and give you the information that you need they were told that no one called Call or nothing. And I gave his manager, I told his manager before the rematch exactly what he would need going into that rematch. And I got the email that I sent him. I can show it to you on paper. Everything I said came true in the rematch. 
I haven't heard back from JDs. So that tells me right there, these guys are representing these fighters, but they're not putting their fighter in the, giving their fighter the best chance to win. It don't make no sense to me, man. It really don't. Before we get you out of here, uh, it's like, how much are you enjoying this, uh, this role, the, the teaching thing? Like, I mean, we talked to you, like, when you were you know, doing with your son's career, and I enjoy watching you guys on IG Live, your sessions. Like, how much is this, this new role? You got new guys coming in now, like, having almost like a stable. Like, what, what's that like, and how much are you enjoying this part of your career? Man, I'm enjoying it because, you know, every time, you know, what am I going to do with all this knowledge and experience that I got? I've been blessed to have some of the greatest trainers. Jimmy Williams, he trained me when I was 10 years old, taught me how to fight out of the triangle, explained to me how important defense is, you know. Uh, and so then Buddy McGirt, one of the top trainers today, led me in my professional career. We knocked out Roy Jones together. Then Orlando Cuellar, who's trained several champions. All I'm saying is, I've had the fortunate ability to be trained by some of the best teachers in the game. And I'm a part of all those guys. And I, I have the communication skills to help these fighters. I don't need nothing, man. I, all I, you ain't got to fire no trainer. Bring me in. Let me work. And that's it. Give me, let me give you the game plan. Show you technically what you should be doing, how you should be doing it. You still got to fight the fight. I can't fight for you. But having the information and understanding it's half of the problem. I mean, it's half of the solution. You know, understanding, knowing is half the battle. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. And I feel like I know when it comes down to boxing. I'm not, I don't know it all. I don't know it all. But through my experiences, through my trainers, I think I can touch on a little bit of everything when it comes to boxing. And the bottom line is to get out of the game with all your marbles, with all your faculties. That's success. When you've been in the game 22 years and you've never been cut, you've never been knocked out, come on, man, I must know something. I must be doing something right. And that's what I'm trying to pass on to the guys that's coming up behind me. Well, we're looking forward to you with uh, watching our guy, Harold. We wish you guys nothing but success. We always yeah, man. From the magic man. He's, he's I can't wait. Hey, I'm, and I got to keep my golf club sharp, so I'm going to yeah. get back on the greens, man. You know I'm, I'm coming. Come All right. <laughs> <laughs> Antonio, thanks for the time. Hey, guys, I appreciate, I, it. I appreciate you guys. And listen, continue to follow Harold the King Calderon, man. We're going to make Miami special. He's Mr. 305 to me, man. And we're going to be behind him. We're going to get these lessons, and we're going to get these opportunities. I want to bring the next fight to Miami. I want to bring it national TV. That's what we're working on. Walking so uh, we're going to – yeah, yeah. We're going to blow it up, man. We ready. All right. Thanks. All right, man. All right, man. Y'all be good. God bless. Right. Thanks for having okay. me. I appreciate okay. it. Thank you. Thank you. Always love talking to that guy, man. And uh, it was great having him join Tobin and Leroy this week. You guys can, of course, hear us every single weekday from 6 to 10 a.m. We'll be back on Monday, back in the saddle with Leroy for this uh, shortened holiday week. But can't wait to be back and uh, talking shenanigans with you guys. We're back with more on Fighters Fury after this. All right, welcome back, everybody. It's Fighters Fury here on 790 The Ticket. Thanks again to Antonio Tara for joining us this week. Uh, a couple of the news and notes from this week as we found out that it is official that Kamaru Usman is going to be training in Colorado for this upcoming fight, UFC 251. Uh, I spoke with uh, with Lex McMahon at Titan FC this week, and uh, I think I mentioned this earlier in the show, but he was just saying how weird a fight that's going to be. Um, and I've heard from Sugar Rashad Evans, everybody who's kind of tied into that hard knocks 365 in Fort Lauderdale, the Henry Hooft uh, 
you know, break off of what was the Black Zillions and all that type of stuff. That that whole trickle down, that pod. Um, a lot of people are saying this is going to be a weird fight, man. That this is going to be it's it, it, it's it's impossible for it not to be strange with those guys going through three different gyms together. And so it did seem like Kamara was going to be the guy who was going to go, which I found a little bit strange because I would have thought that, you know, the champ is, is probably got priority, but also, um, you know, maybe Gilbert's not in a position where he can leave. You know, that's, that's, that's his gym. That's what he's used to training. And, um, if you're Kamara and you want that special attention, I think that was his quote this week that he wanted a place that could, uh, that could sharpen him specifically instead of have a bunch of people there. You know, it's a very popular gym. A lot of people train that down here. So yeah, I get it. We, you know, we've seen that break off before that was, uh, you know, that, that where people have gone off into the gyms, very familiar with like the team alpha male thing where, you know, the TJ Dillashaw break off. This seems a mu- much more cordial than that, uh, than what was going on there. The interesting thing though, is Henry hoofed is uh, stepped out. He's not going to coach either guy in this matchup that he's going to stay at the gym. And if you're at the gym, he'll help you, but he's not going to be, uh, he's not going to be training either one of these guys for this fight or cornering these guys for this fight. So it's going to be a weird one for sure. Um, I still think it's going to be a fantastic fight. Look, all the all the the BS around it with not getting uh, the fight that we wanted, which was, of course, Masvidal versus Usman and, um, you know, the rivalry and all that type of stuff. You went from having uh, this this high money, crazy rivalry between Usman and Masvidal to less money, friendly fire fight between Usman and Gilbert Burns. It, it's just it, it's got to mess with you. And. Um, yeah, Lex was even saying this week. He's like, "Yeah, this is. Uh, I think that that can almost mess with with uh, with Usman's head a little bit because you went from having a fight that you think is all the way up to one level, and then you're kind of all the way down. So, you know, Kenny can Kenny maintain? I think he will. I think that uh, that he's a guy where I, it just seems like he's been doing the same thing in the cage now for you know what feel what feels like like a, a good four fight window here where he's just dominated for five straight rounds every single time he goes out there and can he do that to, to Gilbert you know Gilbert has such a strong skill set on the ground I don't know but I don't think that I don't what whether it does or it doesn't I don't think that it's going to affect him where he's going to be mentally shook because of the situation I don't think that's the case uh, on the boxing side of things had a couple of announcements this week we uh we have a uh, we have a heavyweight matchup that was uh, that was put down. Daniel Dubois versus Joe Joyce. That is scheduled for October 24th at the O2 Arena, according to Frank Warren. So you have that going down. The other one that was announced this week is that we had uh, Dillian White. He has his next fight, and that is going to be Alexander Povetkin, which is a fun fight. I, you know, I think uh, you know I saw some boxing reaction this week of people. It's going to be on DAZN, by the way. That's still a thing. Um, I, I saw some reaction from some pundits in boxing, like, "Oh, this is this is what I'm talking about. This is you know the fighters fighting each other." No, it's not. I mean, like, no, it's not. It, now, it's probably where Dillian White should be fighting. It should be fighting guys who have fought for the title. Keep yourself busy. You're fighting a veteran dude, but it's not like, oh my god, I can't believe uh, Dillian White's throwing it all out on the. Uh, you know, if he was fighting Luis Ortiz. 
all right, I, 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 I'd hear you out on that one, but you know, Alexander Povetkin, you know, look, Povetkin had his moments against Anthony Joshua, but you know, AJ, AJ weathered that and, and then, and put it on him. I think that with white, you know, what could he really, he would, I think white needs to come out here truly sincerely. He needs to come out with like, he, cause he talks so much. He talks a lot, dude. I think that he needs to come out here. He needs to like, he needs a wilder Povetkin. He needs to hit him with a, with a shot that just is like, Ooh, one that can play on the highlight reels because nobody's into this guy fighting Tyson Fury for the WBC title. And I saw, what was this quote from Suleiman this week? This WBC guy, he goes out and he says, uh, we will not make Tyson Fury the franchise champion until he defends against his mandatory. Says the WBC has consistently confirmed that the mandatory bout between WBC world champion must take place with mandatory challenger and interim champion Dillian White. It must take place after Fury Wilder 3. Under those circumstances, in order that place, WBC does not consider a request to elevate anyone in the heavyweight division to franchise champion before the division's mandatory obligations. I'm telling you right now, I swear to God, this is what this is what Tyson Fury should do. He should take that green belt. And he should throw it at the feet of Suleiman and be like, good, here, take it. Who cares? You think I need that? I mean, like, it's 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 so stupid what we're doing here with this. He has to go. Think about this. The WBC, with their interim champion, whatever the F that is, because uh, has, has Tyson Fury fought less than De- uh, Dillian White over the last, uh, you know, over the last time period, has he fought? Has he fought a lot more than Deontay? Well, I don't think he has. I haven't seen Deontay Wilder being be inactive. Why do you have an interim champion? What that? What is that? First of all, first and foremost. Second of all, um, yeah, like okay, okay, oh, oh, really? I can't be franchise champion. Oh, good, because it's a fake thing. Uh, sorry, I can't be. Sorry, I can't be something that's 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 uh, that you just made up. Literally making up belts out here. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, I, I can't, I can't, I can't be under your your umbrella. I can't, I can't just walk around with the green belt, act like. What are we talking about here? Um. So yeah, and apparently we have news of another comeback. Uh, this has been all the rage in boxing. You have, you know, the, the of course the Mike Tyson thing. That's that's numero uno of Andrew Holyfield. We talked to Tarver earlier about that, but. Oscar De La Hoya, he now says that he is seriously considering a comeback fight. He says, uh, I actually want to see what Tyson does first. I have been working out. I've been training, staying in shape. I'm obviously not in fighting shape yet to go 12 rounds, but I'm sure I can get there. We'll see. I want to see Tyson perform, see how his reflexes are, see if he can go past three, four rounds, and then I'll make my decision. Um, He says, you look at my last fight against Pacquiao. I fought at 160, came all the way down to 147 to try and beat Pacquiao, who was just coming up, who was faster than hell. Uh, I couldn't pull the trigger, and I overtrained. My muscles were so lean, walking like a zombie. Da, 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 da. Uh, truthfully, uh, let's see. No, 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 no. He's 47 years old. He says he wouldn't fight Canelo if he if he did a comeback fight. Uh, maybe you should fight Ryan Garcia. <laughs> maybe you should fight them both. Fight them both on the same night. I don't know. I, I, there's something about there's something about uh, 
De La Hoya coming back, that doesn't speak to me the same way that the, the Tyson. Because the Tyson thing, one, Tyson's always been the circus, you know? You know, it's always been a freak show with Tyson. He was a freak show when he was the youngest heavyweight champion ever. He was a freak show in the prime of his career. He was a freak show after the career ended. The face tattoo, the press conference clip, everything with Tyson was just the extra stuff out of the ring added to the aura, added to the story. So it just seems appropriate for him to come back at 53 years and try it. Why not? Especially when he looks the way that he does compared to what he did look like. With with Oscar, you know, I just don't feel like people are going to... Now, look, he was one of the biggest pay-per-view draws of all time. He was the golden boy, um, and he was great. But there's something about the heavyweight old guys coming back that I think is just... it. It, it draws a little bit more than Oscar would. Like, if Oscar was going to come back and fight, I feel like Oscar has to come back and he does have to fight like a Canelo or or some or have a grudge match with one of his fighters or something like that. Uh, him just coming back, uh, I don't know, man. Like, who does he do it against? Like, what's the storyline there? You know what I mean? It's, it's you know, it, and it's different to get these guys down to, uh, you know, whatever, what do you be fighting at what? You know, would he try and get down to 160? Is he going to try and fight at light heavyweight? What would he be fighting at? I don't know. But, um, yeah, there's something about there's something about the Oscar De La Hoya comeback that doesn't speak to me quite like the Tyson or Evander one does. Everybody have a great rest of your week. Uh, if you missed any of the show, download the podcast, radio.com. It's available there. You can subscribe to the show on YouTube as well. All those good things. Thank you guys for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 